Hi, I'm Kim Voodin. Welcome to Milo's Music Parlor, a live music speakeasy and podcast show brought to you by Milo Records New Orleans and itsneworleans.com. Every week we bring you and our live audience a taste of the musicians who shape the New Orleans music landscape from the living legends to the young upstarts to those burgeoning national and international acts making the extra effort to stop right here. Milo's Music Parlor is a member of the family of shows on the podcast network, itsneworleans.com. We're coming to you live from Tassology, an art and music cafe here on O.C. Haley Boulevard in the heart of Central City. Today, we're joined by Gal Holiday and the Honky Tonk Review. music made shiny and plastic, Gal Holiday and the Honky Tonk Review stick to sincerity when they write, with a sense of humor, the real-life stories of broken-down rigs and hard luck on the road. To some, it may seem unlikely that this classic honky-tonk band calls New Orleans home. To others who've heard them, it may come as no surprise that they flourish in a town where tradition in every genre is paid respect with high-caliber musicianship. Vanessa Neiman. Thanks for joining us at Milo's Music Parlor. Thanks for having us. So I think everyone here has spent a significant amount of time in New Orleans, and so have you and Dave and the band. It's been about 10 years, and you're playing country music, not jazz. Share with the audience what that was like 10 years ago, trying to start a country band in New Orleans. 10 years ago, um, obviously, it was pre-Katrina. And um, the city was an incredibly different place than it is now. Um, uh, we ha- we, when we started this band, there, um, we had the, the lore of country bands that had existed in New Orleans in years past, um, including the um, Plowboys, um, which was a band that was um, Steve Spitz, who used to play pedal steel with us, was kind of part of that. And then... Um, they still, they're, they're kind of a cover band, though, right? They were, yeah, like, they were kind of like a Sons of the Pioneers, like a Western swing, and they were, like, in the early 80s. Um, and then Kim Carson um, is, you know, still uh, out of New Orleans, although she doesn't really play here as much as she used to. Um, but, you know, she kind of was doing it, like, from the late 80s and 90s um, to the present. So there wasn't really a whole lot. It was, um, you know, there were a couple of, like, old-timey kind of country bands, mm-hmm. but really not very much. Um, and then Hurricane Katrina hit, and we had this whole slew of people that came in um, from other places for the rebuilding efforts, um, Oklahoma and, you know, places out west, and, um, and how long were you here before Katrina struck? We, we started in 2004, so we were, um, you know, barely keeping our heads above water as a band, um, you know, not having that much of an audience, really, um, until post-Katrina, we were one of the first bands to come back and play in the city. Um, so so the, I think the question on everyone's head is, other than being crazy, why? You know, you're you're an awesome jazz singer. You've toured with Thank Squirrel you. Nut Zippers. You've done swing stuff. Yeah. Um, Dave does jazz bass. He does uh, Latin jazz. I mean, you guys have other skills that are marketable in this town. Why the heck did you put on the bolo ties and the, and the, and the country and the big hats? <laughs> what, what was the decision there? 
You know, for me, I just kind of um, felt like the city, it's kind of like being a, you know, like being a big fish in a small pond versus, you know, coming in. I mean, the city is very, uh, there are a lot of jazz bands, a lot of really good jazz bands and a lot of really good jazz singers. Um, you know, including Ingrid Lucia and Lindsay Zaorski, and now, of course, Mashia Lake. And um, when I started the band, I just kind of figured, well, and then there's like, you know, tons of women who've been around for many, many more years than that, too, who've been doing jazz in the city forever. Um, I just kind of felt like there was enough of that, and I didn't really have anything extra or interesting to offer in that um, in that realm, and I fell in love with rockabilly oh, you're music. Being, you're being a little modest, except <laughs> the little talent that you have to land you touring gigs with Squirrel Nut. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, just I, I just felt like I felt the stories also in country music. Um, you know, I think I didn't really grow up listening to country music, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that. I know you have some questions for me. I see it in your face. <laughs> <laughs> and um, but you know that um, the the stories of country music for me became much more relevant the older I got, the more heartaches I amassed in my lifetime. <laughs> and um, you know, I think that the stories of country music are um, are some are stories that we can all understand their human stories you know and it, I mean you know in every style of music I guess I just really felt the um, the pull towards that specific those specific stories and the the, the stories of Hank Williams and Patsy Cline and um, that time period of music in specific too I mean it led you to going from doing a lot of covers in your first album to more of your original work in the second album and the third album being pretty much your stories what was that process like well, I think the development as a songwriter is an interesting one. Um, for me, anyway, as you know, songs come from different places for everybody. Um, but f you know, for me specifically, um, writing country music was not necessarily what came out originally. You know, like a lot of the stuff that I used to write a lot of poetry when I was a kid, and then kind of you know set it to music a little bit. Um, which is kind of the aspect angle I still come from um, when I write songs. I, I usually come up with some words first that maybe pair with a melody in my head and maybe not. Um, Do you feel that the audience reception has changed in the past 10 years now that you've been doing this for more and now that there are a handful, maybe a dozen more country Americana folk bands in town? Definitely. I think that of course, people still, when they come to New Orleans from other places, still want to hear jazz and Cajun music and funk and, you know, all of the other styles of music that New Orleans is known for, you know, the second line stuff and everything. But, um, you know, there, there are people that come to town and find it refreshing to hear country music in a town that's not really considered a country music town. And the addition of other bands in the scene can only be helpful. Um, the audience is certainly much larger for country music in this town than it ever was with the influx of younger people coming from other places with their instruments and their style of music and adding that into the, the mix. You know, they say in New York the melting pot, but here we say the gumbo of what all this city has to offer. And I think there's a place for it all here in New Orleans. 
I know, speaking of being in other places, I know you spent some time in the other L.A. The other um, L.A. And just in other music, you know, I know you all have toured through other music cities, a little bit through, through Texas. And would you ever consider a city like Nashville or Austin where this is, this is something that people are familiar with? You don't, have to, you don't have to do a dog and pony show like you do here. You mean to live? Or to be based out of? <laughs> to play the kind of music you're playing. I think that if I went to Austin or Nashville, I might be a jazz singer. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. How about that? Um, you know, I mean, definitely when you go to a place like um, Austin or Nashville, there is um, a saturation of bands that are doing what we do. Although I do have to say, when we go to Texas, we just played in Houston this past weekend, to an unbelievably enthusiastic audience. This small bar was so packed, and we got a standing ovation. People were hooting and hollering. <laughs> Houstonians know how to have a good time. I was really surprised how crazy that audience was. They were great. Uh, I haven't done well, a show. They got all that oil money. I mean, they I better mean, do something with it. Right? It was really a fun show. And so, um, you know, we had a number of people come up to us and say, that they hadn't heard this kind of the kind of music or the style that we do in a really long time since the days of Gillies. They hadn't heard what we do. People aren't doing that in Texas right, right now. Um, and the retro bands that are, you know, I don't consider us a retro band. I consider us maybe a little bit retrospective in some of the stuff that we do because we do like to play the older songs and pay pay homage to those artists that are gone, you know, that paved the way. But um, I think the retro bands and other places like that go to the extreme. The same thing as in L.A., in Los Angeles. Uh -huh. um, you know, it's not really retro country. The retro bands are doing hardcore retro rockabilly music. Uh -huh. And they're really, really strict rockabilly players. Um, and then I think the same thing happens in Austin. The bands that are doing retro, more retro kind of stuff are really, really retro. I would well, never consider doing some of the more modern-sounding songs that we do. It seems... I feel okay about saying this because I grew up in California, but a lot of things in LA, it's it's shtick. You know, you gotta oh, have yeah. like a theme, this like brand and identity. And y'all do whatever the heck you want because there's a Pat Benatar song on that album. You're begging me to go. And, you know, you can, people either love it or they hate it. I mean, we got panned a couple of times in a couple of reviews from people who are a little bit more like sticklers for tradition. Um, how, did that, how did that get there? How did that get in, in the songbook in the first place? Well, the Gambit Weekly here, the, our weekly newspaper in New Orleans, um, they host the Big Easy Awards every year. And um, they asked us, we played numerous times for the awards ceremony. One year they had an... 80s themed award ceremony um, because it was their 25th anniversary or something like that. And they asked all the bands to do 80s songs. They asked us if we would do that song. 
because someone from the paper thought it would be a good idea and that they'd like to hear us <laughs> sing it, you know. And I'm like, okay, well. Do you know why they picked that song? Um, you know, I think it was a I think it was a favorite of um, of someone who worked at the paper, and um, <laughs> yeah. And they yeah. just decided, you know, decided. And we, so we did, a, we did a kind of a bluegrass arrangement of it um, instead of just doing it straight ahead. And then we didn't play it for a long time, but um, it really went over well whenever we played it for, you know, particular audiences, certain audiences. And it's a, it was a really fun arrangement. Don't so age we yourself. Don't age just yourself. Just decided. <laughs> and, you know, the funny thing is I was not a Pat Benatar fan. I mean, I wasn't even old enough to be a Pat Benatar fan at that time period. I don't think I was... A teeny bop. You could have been a teeny bop. I could have been, yeah. But it wasn't even the kind of music I listened to or even liked. But you know, you have to admit that the songwriting on those pop songs like that from that time that were big hits, the songwriting is amazing. Smeevich, what were you listening to in high school in those formative years where you first discovered the radio? I mean, I think all of us, you know, teenage years were a huge point in our musical decisions. What were you listening at that point to? Sure. Point? Well, in high school, I was was in the early 90s, early to mid-90s for me. And, like, I started out, I guess, I want to take it back to middle school because, like, <laughs> because for me, the middle school influences were huge. Like, I was the first kid in, like, seventh grade to bring um, a Beatles album to school and introduce it to my friends. And they were like, whoa, this music's so weird. I'm like, yeah, it's so weird, like Buffalo Bill and all that <laughs> stuff. You know, it's kind of weird. And the Beatles were weird. They were great, you know. I was listening to that and, um, you know, and also to, um, you know, like George Harrison. My mom's an old hippie, so, like, you know, a lot of those records were around, and I just I fell in love with George Harrison and and Cream, you know, was a big one for me, too, in middle school. I don't know. I was really into, like, the 60s in middle school, I guess. And then in high school, you know, I really was listening to what was on the radio a lot. Um, I really loved Soundgarden. As well as Nirvana, of course, everybody listened to Nirvana and, um, you know, R.E.M. and all that stuff. And I listened to a lot of hip hop because I like to dance, you know, and it's just fun, you know, like the beats of things. To me, it was all about like the beat, you know. At that time, and the Patsy Cline, the the Hank Williams. When did that start making an appearance in your life? I swear, my grandparents listened to Patsy Cline and Hank Williams, along with the polka music that they listened to. <laughs> um, I come from a German family, so there was a lot of polka music at my grandparents' house. But um, my grandmother would swear to me that they didn't listen to it, but I swear I listened to it at their house. <laughs> Um, but for me, I started to listen to that stuff. I discovered rockabilly music, quote-unquote, discovered it. It was a new discovery. I discovered Carl Perkins and, you know, all of that stuff um, when I was uh, about 18 or 19 years old with the swing revival that was going on in the 90s was kind of a natural transition to the rockabilly music of that, you know, that same era. And um, so, and then I started to, then I was like, oh, well, if I like... Carl Perkins and I like Johnny Cash then 
well, maybe I do like country music. Because <laughs> I grew up in a small town where you either listen to metal and hip-hop or you listen to country. Where there was, was no in-between. Where was this? I grew up in Western Maryland in uh, Frederick, Frederick County. Um, about My mother lives about a mile as the crow flies from Camp David. The president, the Prez. Yeah, yeah, never hanging out with the Prez. Although when I was a teenager, we did often drive around the mountains aimlessly just to, you know, something to do. And um, I did actually, uh, unfortunately, like almost drove into the Camp David secure area <laughs> and had some guys jump out with big rifles out of the woods and point them at my car. I'm and like, I'm just, just lost. You sang a song and everything was okay. Yeah. So. <laughs> they were having none of that. They were... Yeah. Well, I want to let the audience ask some questions, but I yeah. feel like I have a really valuable piece of information I did not know about you before. Mm. Yes. You're a video game nerd? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. It's really, you know, I mean, I am a child of the 80s, you know, so, I mean, I was of that generation. The first, the, you know, we were the first kids to have computers in school. Oregon, what was the Oregon Trail game that everybody played? And I had a, a, a dorm hall roommate whose dad invented Pac-Man. Oh my! So I can kind of feel God. your excitement. With That's amazing. Years. We're both aging ourselves. I mean, my dad is my dad is a super nerdy guy, and uh, <laughs> we actually talked about this before on an It's New Orleans <laughs> podcast. My dad is a super nerdy guy, and we had one of the very first um, home computers before they even had the regular keyboard like they do now. They had the little soft touch pad. Um, it that wasn't you did an abacus. No, <laughs> yes, post abacus, and um, you know I used to play those little video games with the paddles where you you know, the little back and forth tennis game and all that stuff. But um, yeah, I'm a video game nerd. I, I, I uh, play more video games than a person of my age likely should. <laughs> I can't help it. <laughs> okay, that's okay. We'll let it go. We already know that you and Dave, we could tell on stage your love of cats. Yes. They don't know you have four of them. Our you love of cats. You have a lot of cats. <laughs> but I'm going to let the audience, uh, I want to ask about your future plans, but first I'm going to let the audience ask their questions that they they're burning on their brains if people can go up to the mic which would be easy feel free to adjust the height of the microphone too oh you don't need to you're tall as well <laughs> another cat lady coming to the mic that's right my name's aurora old cat <laughs> um i'm a big fan obviously um i'm curious what's the most challenging either lyrically or technically um, song that y'all have written together to put together, and why? Obviously, the easiest songs are the ones that just write themselves almost, um, which is very rare, very rare. Um, I think the, um, you know, I don't know if you're asking for like a specific song. I mean, you know, on the new album, um, I think one of the harder songs to put together was um, South of I-12. Nothing south of that twin built on solid. 
put together this really crazy chord progression and had this um, melody um, in my head. And then, you know, it has this kind of looping thing too, which it comes back to. I think writing in a group also could be a really difficult thing because it's, everybody has a lot of different ideas. Um, and that particular song, um, uh, I think, you know, just working to make it interesting, you know, rather I had this like interesting part, to, but to make the rest of the song interesting, you know, the chords, that's my biggest thing is like, you know, what can we do to make the song more interesting rather than, um, you know, just the basic chords of, you know, the one, the four, and the five, for those of you that are, you know, not really musically inclined as far as playing, might not know what that means, but, you know, usually songs are composed of a one, a four, and a five, and then you'll throw in some other interesting chords maybe to make it more interesting, and that for me is always the most challenging part. I rely a lot on um, Dave Briette, and on this last album we wrote a lot with Chris Adkins and with Greg Good, and those guys really were helpful on that, but um, I think that was probably the most difficult one, you know, because I had this really weird idea about what I wanted to do with it, which fortunately ended up working out, was kind of a cool um, departure from anything that I had ever written before. Thank you. Anyone else? Any other questions? Do you play an instrument yourself? That I do. Uh, yes, I do. I play the piano. And I've played the piano since I was uh, four and a half. I took my first lessons. Um, my parents are both pianists, and um, my family has been very musical. Um, that's the instrument that I still play, but growing up I dabbled in clarinet, um, trombone, and cello. Nice. Yeah, I think um, trombone was my favorite other one. And I've actually been thinking that maybe it would be fun to get a trombone again and just dabble around whoa, at the house whoa, whoa, i know whoa. come on come on i mean you know if what a, would the cats think if aurora if aurora Neeland can be so fabulous with her clarinet she's and her saxophone oh my god or she just plays saxophone right or is it no saxophone? she plays clarinet. clarinet yeah and um yeah if she can be so fabulous with that oh man can you imagine if i brought a trombone on stage <laughs> how is your co-band leader Dave Briette feel about a trombone? On I don't know. Come on, Western Swing. It's just killing for trombone. <laughs> Great. Is, does anyone have any more questions? Oh, I see. I need a microphone, but uh, since you don't use your given name, I wonder who or why you came up with your actual that's a good question. So I guess the question, yeah, the question was um, if I don't, uh, since I don't use my real name, Vanessa Neiman, um, where, did Gal, where did Gal Holiday come from and why? Um, I've always been a stage performer. Um, early on I was uh, in theater and I felt more comfortable um, when I first started to be a singing performer, having a stage name, I don't know, I was always, when I sang with a band here in New Orleans uh, called the Sophisticats, doing bump and grind stuff, I was um, Butterfly Du Jour. What is bump and grind stuff? Uh, bump and grind, it's like late 50s, early 60s, bump and grind and okay. surf, you know? Okay. It's like, uh, you know, um, it's like, you know, do you like that description? It's very clear. <laughs> It's like, you know. Um, so I was Butterfly 
uh, du jour with them. And the butterfly for me came from, um, my name is Vanessa, which means butterfly. Um, before that, I was singing with the Shimshamettes, who were a burlesque troupe here in New Orleans. Uh, and I was Butterfly Capone. Um, keeping your clothes on, I presume. Yeah, keeping my clothes on. I just did like a Vegas style backup dancing stuff and singing for the band, uh, for the group. Um, and so the Gal Holiday, again, was one of those just kind of, uh, you know, I, I didn't want to necessarily be uh, Vanessa Neiman. Um, you know, it doesn't really, I don't know, it doesn't really sound like, I guess I could have just picked a name for the band and still been Vanessa. But really, I think the Gal Holiday was just a name for the band. And it didn't really come from anywhere. I just didn't want to, like, be Polly or, you know, pick a random name. Gal seemed like the most absolutely generic way that you could call a girl. And then um, I had, like, early on, I had some strange backstory in my brain that I created that maybe I was, like, the grand, nice. gra you know, the great, great grandniece of Doc Holliday or something oh, like that. Oh, there you go. Um, joined a yeah. traveling gypsy troupe. At yes, who moved to New Orleans and be, you know was a country singer. So um, yeah, just uh, you know, just kind of having this like this lore of a name that wasn't me. Oh, people still think it's my real name. Absolutely. In fact, back or Gail, because in the South people have a really hard time saying Gal without the I. Gal Holiday just can't get it around. So Gal is immediately even without the I. Gal is pronounced Gail, Gail Holiday, and and back in the MySpace days, my MySpace handle was actually Call Me Gal, which you could probably still find on there. MySpace still exists. Call me gal, because yeah. people do. And you can call me gal. It's okay. I respond to both. I remember when uh, your your guitar player, Greg Good, I was working with him to book you for a gig, and he's like, yeah, Vanessa said that's gonna be, that date works. I'm like, who's Vanessa? <laughs> <laughs> I only know a gal. It's confusing occasionally. Do you have any future plans or stuff you're working on, um, links to your website you want to share with everyone? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, uh, very excited um, that we are going to be back at both French Quarter Fest and Jazz and Heritage Festival Excellent. this year in New Orleans. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, Jazz Fest is, a, is an amazing coup because... Um, you know, there's so many, there's so much competition for those slots, and so many of my friends who have amazing acts don't get in, um, you know, sometimes, and they've just had us year after year, and, you know, I was wondering, what did we do to get, you know, Quint, I think Quint just, you know, he always comes to say hello, and I just... Yeah, and we've played the kids' tent. Yeah, we played the kids' tent, but we also... Last year, they did not play the kids' last tent. Last year, they didn't, and this year, we're not either. Last year, actually, for the past three years, we've been on Gentilly as well as the kids' tents. Yes. Shared, shared stages with Lyle Lovett. I know, it's pretty cool. This one. I this know. This one right here. And um, so that's really exciting for us. Um, we're also working on um, getting to Europe for the summer. We have a bunch of dates booked over there, and um, we're excited about uh, practicing making your it German? over there. No, Guten I don't know. Tag? Guten Tag. That's a good one. I know. Got well, a lot of German fans. I know how to say hello. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, new. We had. Uh, we are working on writing. I have some ideas stewing around in my head, and we've been 
working. We need to kind of come up with a timeline about when that's going to happen, but we're hoping that this summer will be um, a productive writing time for us. Um, so uh, those are a few things that are coming up for us this summer. And um, we have a website. It's um, galholiday.com. Gal with no I. Galholiday.com. We also have a Facebook and a Twitter and an Instagram and a mailing list, all of which you can find on our website. And you can also sign up for their mailing list right here at the bar. Yes, right here today. Yeah. Well, I'm going to wrap that up. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. And thank you all for being here actually in the room with us this evening. We appreciate your coming out in the rain tonight. Thank you for listening to Milo's Music Parlor. Thanks so much for joining us at home, work, on your phone, wherever you are, and whatever you're doing. This has been a production of It's New Orleans and Milo Records, New Orleans, and sponsored by WTUL. And a special thanks today to Gal, also known as Vanessa Neiman, Holiday, and the Honky Tonk Review. Thank you very much for having us. We appreciate it. All right. We have some dancers in the room. Our show is produced by Kim Boudin and Mark Tobler. Our technical director is Chris Keough. Our theme song was composed by Taylor Smith and performed by the Roman Jasmine. Milo's Music Parlor was recorded today at Tassology Art Cafe, located on the historic O.C. Haley Boulevard in New Orleans. For more information on how to attend one of our live performances, check us out at www.milorecordsneworleans.com, where you can also sign up for our mailing list. The fabulous audio quality of this show is brought to you in part by PreSonus Audio Electronics. This show is sponsored by WTL. You can follow us on Twitter at It's New Orleans. You can like us on Facebook. We're at It's New Orleans. And you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. You can listen to our other Milo's Music Parlor shows on our website, itsneworleans.com, as well as our other shows, Happy Hour, Out to Lunch, Mindset, True the Game, Midnight Menu Plus One, Louisiana Eats, and Unlisted NOLA. Milo's Music Parlor is produced by INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and Milo Records New Orleans. For everyone here today at Milo's Music Parlor, thanks for joining us. You know Labor Day signals the unofficial end of summer, but not the end of your outdoor projects. Lowe's helps you do it right and helps you save with Labor Day deals throughout the store. Shop now and get two bags of Stay Green Potty Mix for $12. And keep your lawn looking neat and trim with a Craftsman 2-Cycle 17-inch gas string trimmer now $20 off at just $119. Whatever's still on your to-do list this Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 828. Soil offer excludes Alaska and Hawaii, U.S. only.